Hi, this is Chad. Back in episode 400, I discussed the importance of community and how product managers and leaders need to be in a community. I also announced I was launching a Product Mastery Now community, and I invited you to apply to be a founding member. I just want you to know that opportunity to join as a founding member closes in just a few days on Monday, November 28th. If you've been thinking about joining but haven't taken action yet, now's the time to apply, and I would love to see you in the community. Some people have asked me what the other founding members are like. We'll certainly find out together, but I can give you some insights because I've met many of them already. The founding members are listeners to this podcast. That's one thing we all have in common, finding value in what we talk about here. Also, based on those who have applied already, everyone has experience in product work and they're eager to accelerate their knowledge. They also want to learn at a reasonable pace without being overwhelmed, but faster than they're doing on their own right now. It's a great group of people with knowledge to share with each other. They are product managers, leaders, and innovators who enjoy the challenge of creating value for the customers. If that sounds like you, then it is a good community to be a part of. If you're interested at all, now's the time to take that action. You can review the specifics of what the community provides at productmasterynow.com community. One more time, that's productmasterynow.com community. Applications to be a founding member in November 28th, just one week from when I published this episode. After that time, the communities can be closed to new members for several months. So now's the time to get in if you're at all interested. Don't delay. Check it out. Go to productmasterynow.com community. And you have to know that URL. You can't just go to the website because it's not listed anywhere. I'm only announcing this to people who listen to this podcast. Coincidentally, today we are talking about the value of community. And really, this was not planned. I got my production dates off by a week. I expected this episode would be published after the Product Mastery Now community was closed to founding members. And I say as much in the interview. No, it's still open for a week as of this time. But nonetheless, some products are started as a community, while many others that you may have noticed lately have added a community aspect around them. And we'll talk about some examples of those. Of course, many products exist without a community, but we might be missing some opportunities because of that. Let's find out together how community can benefit products. Joining us is Patrick Wood. He's the co-founder and CEO of Orbit, the leading community growth platform. He's worked with business leaders from some of the world's fastest growing businesses to leverage the power of community. He's also the co-creator of the Orbit model, host of the Developer Love podcast, and is author of the Brand Strategy Canvas. And as always, listeners, if you want a detailed summary of the discussion as we go along, you can find that at productmasterynow.com slash 411. I guess Patrick is going to give us the 411 on community development. Also, the same place is that one-page action guide we prepare for you to help you put into action the key takeaways that we discuss. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Chad, thanks so much. Excited to be here and looking forward to diving into all things community. Likewise, it's it has been a topic, I think, more so for people since COVID, probably in a number of ways, but something that's been, I've been looking into this notion of what community means in a product sense, probably since about 2014, so for a bit now. And I'm curious, just we should probably get level set here, give us a, a definition for what we're talking about. In the context of a company or a product, can you share what community means? Yeah, definitely. So Community at its core is essentially a group of people coming together to accomplish a thing. And so when we think about community overall, I like to think about a three-part taxonomy. And some of this is related to products directly, some is not, but I found it to be a helpful framing when we talk about the concept of community, because as you probably found, the term 
community can mean a lot of things. It can mean nothing because it's can be very empty or very full. I like to define types of communities based on the expectation of the community members. In this framework, there are three three types of communities of product, practice, and play. So hmm. community of play, the community of play community members are coming together to have a good time. It's basically for fun. So this could be a gaming community. It might be your folks that get together to play basketball on Saturday afternoons, but the sole purpose is to have fun, to meet each other, have a good time. Okay. A community of practice is a community of folks coming together to learn about a skill or a discipline or a job title for lack of a better term. So this could be a discord community for CTOs, or it could be a weekly or a monthly meetup for founders and CEOs to talk about things. And the goal of this type of community is to get better at a thing, to network, to level up, to skill up, et cetera. And then communities of product are folks coming together to get better at, to talk about, to level up on a specific product. The Orbit community has a lot of users that come together to talk about how to more effectively use the tool and how to learn ticks and trips and trick tips and tricks and hacks from each other on how to be more effective using the product and platform. And what we typically see is in the context of a product, the communities that a lot of our customers have, for example, are usually a blend of those second two. They're a community of product but they may have elements of communities of practice as well. If you're building sort of a software deployment platform, you know, your community members may come together for product help and feedback and discuss who's using what for which things. But because all 10,000 of the people in that community are also senior people and DevOps, they're naturally going to talk about those the things that those people deal with on a daily basis. So, you know, how to get buy-in from senior management, how to recruit people more effectively, coaching people on the career path. And so you typically see a blend of very product-centric discussion, but also sprinkled in lots of discussion that's more about the practice as well. So we kind of see both and it's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. I suspect play is always a good thing to add to any of the other, the two other types. Because we, if yep. there's an element of enjoyment, we're drawn to be part of it. Yeah, it usually comes up in the form of, sounds very tactical, emojis and GIFs and sharing what you did on the weekend. You often see that happen as well. Part of my interest in community in these contexts started at a conference I was in 2014, where my met said, you got to be part of a mastermind, which I consider a type of community. And I started one with a group of entrepreneurs right after that. And I've but in some form of a small mastermind type thing where we're just really trying to help each other skill up in a sense. How did you get interested in community? What was your journey like? For me, the opportunity to connect people has always been really interesting. The underlying why, I'm not really sure. I haven't gotten there yet, but it's certainly been part of my journey. When I was in Memphis, Tennessee, which is my hometown, I started a couple of groups. One was a sort of networking slash singles slash young professionals. I don't know. It's like a confluence of basically a lot of people who were at the intersection of tech founders, plus the arts, plus nonprofit. And it was a group called Undercurrent. We ran it for about four years and it was just a monthly get together. And we were averaging hundreds of people on a monthly basis at our events. And people would tell us things like, I met my co-founder at your events, or I met my spouse, crazy stuff like that. And for me, just the chance to create a space for people to, to connect to collaborate on things, to build new relationships has always been incredibly compelling. We also hosted Ignite Memphis. Ignite is a, an open source presentation format, if you will, where people come together to give five minute presentations about various topics. And the shtick is that every talk has to be, well, I think it's 20 slides that auto advance every 15 seconds. So you get through some pretty cool ideas. And so 
again, the theme there was creating a space for people to share ideas, to meet and connect. And I think, I don't know, maybe at the core of it is the leverage that comes from those connections. It's hard to predict and it's long running, but we still hear from people today that, that have memories from the events we hosted or met people and started projects as a result of it. I think that the opportunity to help curate people and bring folks together and see what happens, it's almost like putting a bunch of like magic in a jar and shaking it up and good stuff happens, but it's, you never know how or when or where it's pretty, right. I think it's pretty addictive actually. And in the past few years, especially we're seeing companies tap into this vibe more and more. So it's really exciting to see the confluence of this thing that I've always been interested in and been a part of actually see that happen in a business context as well. Cause I think it's, I think it's really powerful. Yeah. The unplanned ad hoc interactions. And as the community grows, the network becomes more powerful because of just of the contributions that people can make for each other. There, there are organizations that certainly have some kind of community around their product. We talked to uh, the product VP for one not too long ago, back in episode 391. He's with Wise, the consumer electronics company. But as he shared, part of kind of their secret to how they do product is this thriving community of beta testers, people that contribute ideas, and just a great community of folks that love their products. So that was clearly how that added value for them. Can you elaborate on just the value of communities for listeners that are saying, yeah, I don't know if we really need something like this around our product? Yeah, totally. It may not always seem obvious because community can seem like, as a term, almost very squishy, feel good. So what does a community mean in the context of a business? What we found is that a active and healthy community actually de-risks and accelerates almost every part of the business. And there's, you can almost map this to the sort of like adoption funnel or the sales and marketing funnel. So if you think about you're trying to drive awareness for your product, what better way to drive awareness than to have an army of thousands or tens of thousands of people who are talking about your product and who are eager to talk about it. When you talk about product adoption, we see an active community help drive adoption and onboarding because you have people that are there willing to help. So if I'm having trouble with a piece of software, the first thing I'm going to do is go to their forum and ask a question. And most of the time, another community member is going to answer that question on the company's behalf because they want to see other people succeed. Retention is another thing that's impacted. Product discovery, it sounds like the folks from Wise already are aware of this, but a classic problem in product can be like, who are we going to get feedback from? We need to get beta testers for this thing. Where are we going to find beta testers? You could cold email a bunch of people that are in your database, or you could have a part of your forum or your Discord server, for example, that's dedicated to product feedback. And so in that case, your feedback cycles are accelerated and just go extremely fast. Recruiting is another place. Like what better place to recruit new employees than from your group of folks who are already engaged in the community and already connected to that. We can keep dive pretty deep on any one of those, but it really is a way to accelerate and de-risk all sorts of parts of the business from a go-to-market strategy, go-to-community strategy, product development, you name it. Those are two very big factors, right? Remove risk and accelerate our ability to get product out and to do a better job because of the community getting product that actually meets the needs of our customers. Yeah. If you're not in a community with other product professionals, you're limiting your potential. Now's the time to change that by joining the Product Mastery Now community as a founding member. However, that opportunity closes very soon, November 28th, just after Thanksgiving in the U.S., Take a minute to see if the community is a good fit for you and apply by going to productmasterynow.com slash community. If you're not sure if it's for you, think of it this way. If you find this podcast valuable, then the community is going to be for you as well. You'll find it valuable. If you're interested, check it out now as the window to join as a founding member does end 
really does end on November 28th. If that sounds good to you, learn more specifics and do check it out before November 28th by going to productmasterynow.com slash community. Okay, so I'm bought in. There's a good value to this. Building a community right now myself. I'm. What's your secret insider ideas for how do you go about creating a successful community? And in our context, kind of around a product. Part of my answer will sound a little philosophical and part of it will sound very tactical. When we talk to people about starting a community for the first time, you can almost think of the process almost like you would run a customer discovery process. And we would just call that community discovery. And it's the same types of questions. Who, what's the market like? Who are my potential customers? What is the overlap between the things the community needs and the things I can provide? And getting really specific with that. A failure case that we have sometimes seen is a new company launches and they know they need to have a community because that's in the zeitgeist these days. Investors want you to have a community. Everybody's got a community. And I'm an early stage company with two employees and we're going to launch a Discord server for our community. And and you ask them like, why? And it's you. Know, the answer is because we have to have one. And you can imagine that's a, not a strong case for a community. And I, I advise before launching a community of your own, spending time in other adjacent communities and learning what the conversations are like. What are the challenges and themes that seem to come up again and again over time? What's the language? Like how do people talk in this space? And more often than not, you can find a couple of adjacent communities that are relevant to what you're working on and go and invest there and learn and spend a quarter just listening and learning and having conversations. During that time, you'll figure out some of the themes and some of the opportunities that you may be able to use in launching your own community, some gaps in the market, if you will. Understanding that the opportunity is pretty essential and just meeting people along the way. After spending a few months in these other communities, Hopefully you'll have met some people, you've got some direct messages going on with people, things like that, and starting to build some credibility. Once you have an understanding of where the gap is in the existing communities, you can start to think about, okay, now maybe I wanted to start my own forum or my own Slack community or my own circle community or whatever. And by that point, you have a pretty interesting sort of positioning map of how your community is going to be different and why it actually matters and to your prospective audience. Tactically, one thing that we've seen work really well is taking that data into account and actually producing a series of events around that market need you've identified. And so you might find that in podcasting world, there's not enough, there's not enough deep, deep dives on the gear to use. That's probably not true. There's probably plenty of deep dives on gear, but like for the sake of this, you just say like, okay, people just really want to know what camera to use, what mic to use, whatever. And so I'm going to do a four part series over the, over the course of eight weeks where I'm going to get the best people. I'm going to get the best microphone person to come talk about mics. I'm going to get the best camera person to come on and talk about cameras. And you actually host that either in your own discord server or like as part of a zoom thing, but basically now you're creating value for your potential community members. And so now you can go to all those people you've met and those adjacent communities and say, Hey, I've heard this is a huge problem for all of us. And so I'm doing something about it. Come check out my event. And you can actually invite people into that. And that to me is a great way to, to create value first and then give people a reason to come to your thing versus the place they're already congregating. And so from there, the question is, okay, once you've got people in the door, quote unquote, how do you onboard them and keep the conversation going from there? And so that that sort of is gets into a question of community onboarding and driving value over time. But those first few steps of, of doing the research, understanding who these people are and why they should care is pretty fundamental. From there, it's tactical. Should you use a forum or a chat platform? What event tools should you use? And there's a whole sort of list of things we could talk about there, but really it comes down to this, for me, a, a distinction between 
value capture and value creation. Companies, especially products, one of the essential questions we ask is how do we capture value from these users? Like what's the pricing and packaging? How do we optimize the area under the curve and like really get as much value as possible? I think healthy community programs really ask themselves first, what is the value we can create for these people? And that's going to be based on your conversations and the research you've done. But if you can first ask yourself, what's the most valuable thing we can do, given our resources, given our know-how for this potential community, it starts to get really interesting in terms of the types of ideas you might have. And then as a second order effect, you can think about value capture for the product. Um, the metaphor we use is almost like a, an ice cream cone. If, if you think about the sort of sales and marketing funnel as the cone and the community on top. It's like an ice cream cone in the sense that the more ice cream you put on the top of that thing, the more is going to drip into the cone just as a second order effect, just because of gravity. And so another failure case is that people treat their community as nothing more than a source of for the sales team to go harvest. And you can imagine that's a short, a very short term view on what a community can be. And if you can disambiguate which things you're doing to create value versus which things you're doing to capture value, I think it leads to a more sustainable set of programs over the long run. And you actually start to create a flywheel for your community members to come back and to engage and to retain. Well, long answer to a short question, but hopefully that's some helpful food for thought. No, that was great information. And we could dive into some more detail, I'm sure, in each one of those areas. But as you're going through that, I was thinking about kind of my first product community that I would not have thought of as a community and probably legitimately does not have community attributes was a customer advisory board. We would stay in contact with the customer advisory board and then once a quarter have a, a meeting with everyone together, whether virtually or in person. And they were lead users in a sense on the product, right? That they were involved in the product and willing to give feedback and ask for new things. And they were a good sounding board for us. That's a big benefit of a community context right around a product and I think that, and maybe you have an example that comes to mind for this, as we build out a community with customers that are probably some of our loyal fans of the product, if we do this well, right, we find new uses for that community over time. It's like a lab of people that we can interact with to get feedback and ideas from. Yeah, you could almost think of the community as the R&D arm for you're going to market for your product. And it's a place to test ideas and to iterate. And it's a low cost way. So instead of putting engineers on it, you can get a handful of community members together, talk about it and get feedback. Absolutely. I think the metaphor of like community as the R&D, as the type of R&D is pretty fantastic. And uh, yeah, we see it in our own community for Orbit and our customers do as well. You've got five or 10 people and almost often like a unofficial customer advisory board and just folks that you trust and are going to give you feedback. You don't mind showing them some rough mock-ups that you're probably not ready to put into a sales deck, <laughs> but you can get on the phone with the folks that you trust and get that quick feedback. It's uh, pretty priceless. Let me ask you about the trust aspect, right? So especially in that example you gave, if you're disclosing things that you probably would not want it to fall into the hands of a competitor, how do you craft trust? Are you in that context, and we'll talk about more about Orbit too, but are you asking for NDAs? How do you deal with this in the community? We just lead, this is going to sound very philosophical maybe, but we just lead with trust. So we gain trust by giving it, I guess you should say, you could say. So we don't really do NDAs. We of course do NDAs in the context of like when we're sharing sensitive information about our privacy and compliance and things like that. But when we're just talking about features and roadmap stuff, it feel, feels very friendly almost because these are folks that we've met over the years. We had dinner with at conferences and people that feel almost like part of the family. And the an NDA, while our legal team may think that's a good idea in terms of the relationship, might feel pretty 
pretty weird and introduce friction that where we don't want it. We just lead with trust and it's worked for us so far. And who knows, we're an early stage company as we scale and get bigger, maybe that's, but yeah, we just trust people and it's worked so far. And it sounds like these are people you've developed relationships with in the real world too, right? So this is kind of like, like the inner circle maybe of the community. Almost in some sense, they sound like volunteers working for the company in some sense that they're vested in the future of what's happening here. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. We've got, just for some context on scale, we've got probably north of 10,000 users. Our customers are managing almost 40 million community members collectively across their platforms. And so we've grown quite a bit over the past couple of years, but some of the folks that I'm thinking about now, I, like I know their user ID in the database because they were that early. <laughs> like their user ID is 0021. And like the users today are like 10,000 plus. And yeah, it's part of the fun of being a founder and I guess a product builder is you get to build those relationships over the long term and get to know people are vested in the success of your community and your platform because they built their career on it. So yeah, it's definitely almost, they feel like volunteers. Yeah, there's, I'm just thinking of several people in particular that have been just amazing, incredible parts of our community. And yeah. I think we have to attribute a large part of our success to folks like that who are willing to invest early on and risk with us a little bit in the early days. Okay. Another aspect of community is the resources involved to make the community work. If we don't pay any attention to this community, obviously it isn't going to take care of itself, right? How do you think about that? Do you have, it maybe it might be useful, to, we don't need to tie this to Orbit specifically, just talk about resources in general, but let me introduce Orbit to have some context here. So you guys are the leading platform for community growth. And primarily, at least my understanding is that's a metrics platform. So we can see how people are interacting with whatever the community resources are, how that ties to their social media interaction, get really good insights. And I've been listening to a number of community podcasts and reading about this area more. And this kind of seems like the next wave of what community managers are talking about is really helpful metrics, not just what their platform of choice might give them and people showing up, but really know that this new person in the first two weeks, they did these sort of things. And we're seeing that trend and really being able to take some action on that. When it comes to resources, what do we need in place to resource a community so that it doesn't fall apart on its own? Yeah, the first layer, you can almost think of it as like a hierarchy of needs. And at the bottom of that hierarchy is basically the fundamental question of who is out there? What are they doing? Who are these people? And mm -hmm. this is really the sort of like first problem we had to solve with Orbit because all of our customers have huge communities online and they're spread across a ton of platforms. So it might be a support forum, plus a Discord server for live chat, plus GitHub for code stuff, plus social media, plus event registrations, plus internal tools, plus the product itself. And so what we found is that for many community leaders and business leaders generally, it's hard to, it's hard to assess the health of the community because the data is siloed across so many platforms. So Twitter shows you how many followers you got last week and your forum shows you how many conversations happened. But if you actually want to understand the individual's journey, it's really hard to do that without Orbit. And so what we let you do is plug in all these tools and see at the individual level that, hey, Patrick followed you on Twitter a month ago and then created a trial of the product the next day and then came to your forum that same day and asked a bunch of questions. And then the next day sent a tweet about how awesome that was. And then a week later converted to a paying customer. 
And if you can see that journey at the individual level, it means you can roll that up into all sorts of aggregate views as well. Yeah, what we think a lot about is disambiguating like user accounts on platforms to like the actual human so that our users can understand the, the people that are in the community. And we have this metric called love. That may sound very, I don't know, hippie or silly, but for us, love is a thing you can measure. And love is a function of the recency, frequency, and quality of a person's participation in the community. Mm-hmm. And love actually the interesting thing about it is that if you're not careful it can decay over time and this is love is a metric from the orbit model which is a open source framework we created actually before we even started orbit the orbit model seeks to model from first principles how communities expand and grow over time and what are the like the levers you can pull to grow a community and we've observed that love as a concept is really important because not every activity is created equal in the community so someone following you on twitter that's nice. Someone attending your customer advisory board meeting month over month or quarter over quarter is much more meaningful. And so you actually need a mechanism for weighting those activities such that you actually understand the shape of the community. Our users look at love a lot. Who's leaning in? Who's fading away? Who were people that were really active in the community six months ago, but we haven't seen in a while? So should we re-engage them? Overall community growth is a thing people measure. It's It can be a vanity metric, but it can be directional. We do look a lot at, and our customers look at things like community qualified leads and revenue attribution to the community. So understanding if someone is active in the forum, are they more likely to convert to a paying customer at some point? Or does their churn rate go down if they're active in the community? And these are questions that Orbit can help you understand. And then as a second order effect, drive better decision-making about how to resource the community. That's Those are some of the common things our customers look at as long as, or as well as things like activity per platform. Do you notice that Twitter's really blowing up this week or Reddit was really hot last week? What was going on there? We had no idea there were so many people on, on, on Twitter talking about us. What are we going to do about it? And so really at the bottom of that hierarchy of needs is just bringing visibility to all of those different people. And over time, the that data can turn into, this is going to sound corny, but turn the data into insights. And then the insights kind of turn into actions and programs. And Orbit can show you here are the 10 really new, active, amazing people in your community that just showed up over the past week. Why not send them a message, send them a Twitter DM saying, hey, welcome to the community. I'm Patrick. I'm the founder. Is there anything I can do for you? And what would that mean for those 10 people to receive a message from someone like that, to, to right. li- like identify them in the crowd and say hello? And I would consider that type of engagement as part of your com- community onboarding program. And as you get more sophisticated, going up the hierarchy of needs from like first identifying people, then building programs on top of it, on top of it that's where like the sophistication of the data becomes more, more important. So yeah, hopefully that's a helpful answer to that question. Yeah, it is. I would like to get more into the actual people we need to make this work, but we're going to save that for another conversation sometime. I like the love model. And if I got that, was it recency, frequency and quality of participation? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you mentioned the Orbit model. Is that still open source? Is that a good resource for people to think about what are the key metrics and about putting a community together? Yeah, definitely. All the information is at orbitmodel.com. It's it's in its third or fourth version. The first version was basically a blog post that we wrote when we were still consulting, almost as thought leadership for the consulting practice. Over time, it's become a resource that people look to and have contributed to and help us flesh out. And the goal basically is to model from first principles how communities work and then give people levers for increasing what we call gravity. So this is a little distinct from the sales and marketing funnel. We found that when we were consulting, basically every company was trying to measure their community 
But the only metaphor available was the funnel because it's been the one metaphor to rule them all in business for a century. And the funnel as a metaphor is great when it's when you're optimizing a linear problem. So like a product onboarding where everybody needs to go through the same four steps and you can isolate variables and test them. But if you know anything about communities, they're not linear and they're not binary. And so the metaphor kind of breaks down. And so the orbit model is all about increasing the love, increasing the gravity of your community and says that instead of pushing people through a pre-prescribed set of steps, why not create high gravity experiences that naturally pull people in and give them more and more opportunities to contribute, to step in, to become, to go from explorers to participants to actually leaders of the community. And so it's a framework that hopefully gives vocabulary to businesses and organizations to think more deliberately about all the different things they can do to actually create a lot of value for their community members. Okay. I'm very intrigued. So definitely a model (laughs) I want to look into more in part because I now have this community around this podcast called Product Mastery Now Community. Had to have a really profound name there with it being simple. If any listeners want to find out more about it, you can simply go to productmasterynow.com slash community and see what that's about. I very much appreciate the information and your insights about this nature of community, especially around products. As listeners know, we like innovation quotes around here. What do you have for us and what does that mean to you? So my quote is from a book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. So Pressfield's an author. He's written quite a few fiction books, bestsellers, just a very prolific, high output writer. And so I'm very interested generally in the way writers work and how they create worlds from nothing. I think it's really fascinating and an interesting angle on innovation. And the quote that Pressfield has that I think is that I think about a lot is he says the counterfeit innovator is wildly self-confident. The real one is scared to death. And that brings me some solace, I think, as a founder of a company. I feel like you have those nights where you wake up in cold sweats and just wondering, is this the right thing to be doing? Are we making the right decisions? And this quote comes from a part of the book where Pressfield's talking about this idea of resistance and he gives it a capital R. It's like it's almost like the enemy for him. You have the muse on one shoulder telling you like, calling you forth to go do the work and then resistance is giving you every reason you shouldn't trust yourself and you shouldn't get out of bed and you shouldn't go do the work. And the quote is really getting into this idea that if you're feeling like you're putting yourself out on a limb, like you're terrified, you're probably going the right direction. And if anybody says something different, then they're probably not really pushing themselves or pushing their company or pushing the market, pushing the product. And so it's almost like if you're afraid, you're doing something right. And I think that's a bit of encouragement, I think, for all of us thinking about innovation and really trying to do something new that the that people haven't seen before. So right. yeah, the book, The War of Art, I think is a quick read. It's a lot of fun. And uh, for creative folks, which I think everybody listening to this podcast probably is, there's some really great nuggets of wisdom in there on how to find your muse and trust yourself. I love that quote. It's one I don't know. If we're not a little afraid, paranoid maybe of what we're up against, uh, creating something new, right? As you said, uh, this is the heart of innovation. Creating something new means that it hasn't been done before. We haven't done it before. And there's lots of learning to do and lots of mistakes to be made along the way. So that, that could be a lot of fun and unnerving at times as well. Thank you so much for the quote. Of course. How can people find out? We got the Orbit model as a great resource to look into. How can people find out more about resources you have available? Yeah, totally. So I am on Twitter at Patrick J. Woods, all one word. I tweet about startup stuff. I tweet about community building, try to share resources there. You can find more about Orbit at orbit.love. Yeah, we think about love so much, we actually put it in the domain name. Our blog there has lots of resources and ideas about community building, best practices, tips and tricks, things we've learned and things our customers have learned as well. Orbit.love, orbitmodel.com. And then, yeah, just... Ping me on Twitter at Patrick J. Woods if you have any questions about this stuff. I really enjoy talking about it and always learn from these types of conversations. 
Excellent. I appreciate you sharing that information. And orbit.love, that is a great URL. Patrick J. Woods on Twitter and uh, orbitmodel.com. So Patrick, again, thank you for joining us and sharing the information on communities. Yeah, happy to be here and wishing everybody the best luck with their community adventures, including you, Chad. Hope it's going great. Thank you very much. I might follow up with you. I might need some added tips here. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. Thank you. And once again, everyone listening, if you want a written summary of all we talked about and that one page action guide with some key insights that Patrick shared, as well as an easy way to link to the resources that Patrick shared, you'll find all that at productmasterynow.com slash 411. Everyone keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.